Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Numbers chapter 8. And in Numbers 8, it's a continuation of what we left off uh, uh, last week. You see the heads, the, the uh, 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 leadership, uh, leadership. they're kind of in this dedication unto the Lord. They're greasing the skids, so to speak. And I say that loosely, but uh, they're greasing the skids for... Uh, further worship for the camp, for the Levites, for all the tribes, for it's in honor to the Lord. Uh, but I, I love chapter seven. It, it's it's kind of long, uh, but it was short in terms of our time frame and what we studied. But it's so powerful in the implications of what we see because you see the leadership, how they are preparing the people. And I love how it coincides with our New Testament studies, too, about government. Uh, because you see an, a, a picture of beautiful, beautiful government in Numbers 7. Beautiful government. And, and I'm not advocating the law, but, you know, uh, legally speaking, so to speak, beautiful nonetheless. And then at the same time, we reflect on our present time, our present situation, no matter where you are in the world, but you look at governments, tyrannical governments, uh, government overreach. And then it begs the question, wow, you know, like how far have we really come? Now you say, oh, we're not a Jewish people, we're Gentiles. Depending on where you live, you might be in Israel. But, you know, I'm a Gentile. I speak from, I teach from the United States. And you say, well, but we're not, we're, we're not even, why, why do you expect uh, the law? Why do you expect the commandments of the Lord in a land that is, has nothing to do with Israel? But then when you understand, you know, principles of government, it, it, it regardless, because remember in, in uh, Romans 13, that was a church under Roman government. You know, it's like you look at the chasm between Rome and Israel. And when I say Israel, I don't mean Israel proper. I mean Israel, promises of Jacob, biblical. You know, and it's like, wow, how, how far? But even still, there's still rules of conduct, conduct of self and conduct unto the Lord, sacrificially unto the Lord. And you start to realize like, wait a second, our walk with the Lord is much deeper than outward appearance because it's a matter of heart, a matter of mind, a mind that is consecrated unto the Lord. And in this consecration where we're at in Numbers 8, you see how beautiful it is, how the leadership greases the skids, so to speak, for the camp of Israel. But then you see this dedication of the Levites and it's beautiful. It just it blows me away so much. And look what happens here. We're going to start in chapter 8, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and say to him, When you arrange the lamps, the seven lamps shall give light in front of the lampstand. This is, you know, it says when you light the lamps is how it, tra it translates in the Hebrew. is when you light the lamps, the seven lamps shall give light. Uh, it says in front of, but it's like toward and over the lampstand. And lampstand is menorah, menorah. That's how it is in the Hebrew. Two, two, two times menorah, menorah. We just say menorah, uh, but that, that's what it is. You know, the kind of, it also translates as a chandelier, but it's uh, the menorah. And it's so beautiful what we see here. And, you know, when he gives these instructions to Aaron. And, you know, I don't want to harp on the past, but remember, it's, remember where, how Aaron fell. You know how devastating 
devastating it was to read those passages in Exodus with the, the golden calf and to see Aaron's involvement, Aaron's responsibility, Aaron's fall, the cost it was for Israel. And then now look how he's being used as high priest. And that's what's so beautiful about what God can do in the life of anyone. You know, sometimes, you know, we look at a fall and it's like, wow, it is devastating. I'm not trying to lighten it and say that it's no big deal because it's a very huge deal. But never, ever, ever lose hope. Never, never lose hope. You pray for individuals. You pray for families. You intercede for families. And then at the same time, and you take the battle to your knees. That's, that's what we do as Christians. That's what we do as believers. We take the fight to our knees. And we fight in the spiritual realm. Interceding for others, friends, family, co-workers, uh, uh, colleagues, uh, teammates, whatever. Neighbors. And that's what we do as Christians, intercession. But I love just seeing Aaron's involvement here, Aaron's role as high priest, because I reflect back on his fall. And it gives me great hope for people who are in a fallen state. You know, it gives me great hope for these people, no matter where they are, you know. And it's sad, you know, sometimes you see falls and they're devastating, devastating, devastating. And it kills me. It pains me. But you know what? Let those moments of pain be sources of uh, a motivation to be on our faces before the Lord. You know, seeking mercy on another person's behalf. And God's grace is in the richness of his love. And so we see here this, uh, uh, what is being instructed of the Lord for Aaron to do. In verse 3, and Aaron did so. He arranged the lamps to face toward the front of the lampstand, or he lit the lamps to face toward and over the lampstand, as the Lord commanded Moses. Now this workmanship of the lampstand was hammered gold from its shaft to its flowers. It was hammered work according to the pattern which the Lord had shown Moses. So he made the lampstand. You know what's so beautiful? Remember, are the blueprints are, are times in the studies in Exodus where we see the blueprints that the Lord was giving to Moses in the cloud. And so let's turn really quick to Exodus 31. And here in Exodus 31, verse 1, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. It's very interesting here because, you know, you see the what we've studied thus far in Leviticus and where we're at in Numbers. You see the Levitical priesthood that they have a role to do. And aside from the Levites, you have the Kohanim, which, you know, they also have a role to do. But then, you know, they were on the east side. Remember the, the east side of the camp, you know? Uh, um, and what's so beautiful is it's not just the Levites and the Kohanim who have a role in the tabernacle. Because here in, in Exodus 31 verse 2, you see the tribe of Judah. But what are they doing? He says in verse 3, And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship to design artistic works, to work in gold, in silver, in bronze, in cutting jewels for setting and carving wood, and to work in all manner of workmanship. 
And these are these artisans. In verse 2, it's Bezalel. And these are these artisans that were given to produce, to work, and produce these vessels for the tabernacle. He says in verse 6, And I indeed I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahishamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you. You see? So, you know, like where we're at in Numbers, you see the, the camp of Israel. You go to the, you go inward and then you see the Levites, the Kohanim. You go inward more and you see the actual tabernacle. But then at the same time, understand that other people had roles to play. I shouldn't say roles to play, but were had tasks to do in service unto the Lord, such as Bezalel of Judah, such as uh, Aholiab of Dan. And what were they to do? In verse 7, uh, uh, um, the tabernacle of meeting, the ark of testimony, and the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furniture of the tabernacle, the table and its utensils, the pure gold lampstand with all its utensils, and the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offerings with all its utensils, and the laver and its base, the garments of ministry, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons to minister as priests, and the anointing oil and sweet incense for the holy place, according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. You see, you know, and a lot of times people look at, they call it the Moses model. You know, say, wow, you know, the Moses model, you know, in, 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 in the church, you see a, a, a pastor with uh, elders and that's a biblical model. And then they refer to the Moses model as being like, you know, everybody's just following Moses, following Moses. But then you see something interesting when you actually read the Bible. The Moses model is has elders. The Moses model isn't just Moses alone because it's the Lord who's tasking. Look at Bezalel. Of Judah. Look at Aholiab of Dan. Look at everybody who's partaking in this beautiful, beautiful ministry service unto the Lord. So sometimes you hear people refer to uh, the Moses model, but it's biblically inaccurate. You know, they say, oh, the Moses model, but you know, the, I, I, I prefer uh, uh, an elders, you know, uh, uh, a team of elders, like the council of elders. It's, it's all biblical. Yes, a council of elders. It's biblical. You look at the Old Testament, we're looking here in, with, with the account in Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus. See, Moses isn't alone. There's a priesthood, there's Levites, there's the Kohanim. And not just that, there's other people partaking. An Old Testament example of one body with many parts, what we studied on Sunday. One body with many parts, an Old Testament example, and how beautiful it is. And I'm in full agreement that a council of elders is beautiful, necessary, and biblical. But then at the same time, it also begs the question, where are the elders? Where are the godly? Where are the righteous? Not yes men. Yes men unto men. That's not good. Yes men unto the Lord. That's beautiful. You see? It's... It's safeguards for the body of Christ. But then, you know, you look at the church today, and then so it, it, it also makes you wonder, like, 
wait a second, you know, we have this Old Testament example of one body with many parts. Instead of what you see in the church today, sometimes you see a small group of people doing everything in a church. Sometimes you see pastors who burn out because they're doing everything in a church. You see a pastor, co-pastor, or a pastor and a small group of elders, they just are burned out. They burn out. They can be on fire for the Lord for a year, two years, three years. But without help in the body, they're doing it all. And then all of a sudden, they start to fizzle out. They just start to burn out. And, you know, there are other factors that play into that. You know, because did the Lord call this person into ministry? Or is it a, a person that just wanted to feel good about doing good for the community? You know, oh, I want to feel good about myself. And I, I, I think I want to do this good for the community. So I think I'm going to enter into ministry. Well, wait a second. Is it the Lord that's calling you into ministry? Because where God guides, God provides. But even still, you see ministry leaders, they start to fizzle out because it's there's a lot of taxation involved. And I don't mean taxation government-wise. I mean taxation, you know, spiritual, emotional, uh, all kinds of different factions involved. Internally speaking, the inner man and the inner woman too. Whatever ministries that the females are involved in. Here you see a picture of one body with many parts. Judah, Dan, Levi, Kohanim, and you see all these things in service unto the Lord for the sake of the people. You see how beautiful this is? So sometimes people say, oh, they call it the Moses model. They say, oh, yeah, you, one guy, one guy, one guy. But you look at the Moses model biblically and you read the account, you read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and you're like, wow, the Moses model ain't so bad at all. It aligns perfectly with the New Testament. Perfectly, because the Lord is providing. Look at Aaron. Aaron is a high priest. And you know, you, you, you read the, the fall. You read Exodus 32, his fall, Aaron's fall. You read Exodus 32, and then you get to Numbers 8. It's like, what in the world? What happened? That's the beauty of repentance. Wow, what? A, it's like night and day. In the life of Aaron. You know, night and day and how beautiful it is. That's the beauty of repentance. Let's go back to Numbers 8. And here, so you start to see all these things come to pass. In verse 5, then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them ceremonially. And this for cleansing is to be made pure, innocent, and holy. Pure, innocent, and holy. I have to say something. If you're a pastor or if you're an elder, I'm not advocating the law like, you know, hey, let's perform these duties of the law. No, because the law it points to Christ. But when you see the role here of not just the Levites, but even, you know, a little further, the Kohanim. Look at what, what is happening. Look at what they're doing. Unto the people, unto the Levites, unto, the, unto Israel. Cleanse them ceremoni ceremonially to make pure, innocent, and holy. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, if you're a Bible teacher, 
this this is your job called of the lord into this into this ministry this is your job cleansing the people you yourself have to be clean before the lord you yourself have to be cleansed by the blood of the lamb but then at the same time for what purpose well if you're called into pastoral ministry elder bible teacher it's cleansing of the people look at the people put yourself in a pastor's perspective and then look at the people you see them maybe once a week twice a week three times a week maybe once a week maybe once a month and you're with them for such a short period of time and then they go out in the world and you know whatever happens you pray for them and you don't see them but you're praying for them you're on their, your faces before the lord interceding for them and who knows when you're going to see them again you know you say goodbye on a sunday and you might never see them for a couple months but you're interceding you're on your face before the lord on their behalf unbeknownst to them and then they come back you don't know what in the world they might be white as snow or you might see little glimmers of white and a whole lot of dirt on them and because you're non-carnal because you are not a hypocrite biblically you are able to cleanse them how do you cleanse them with the word of god they come in they sit you know worship team comes out leads in worship and it's not just performing a concert you know who knows this sheep maybe they come back they're not white and they're kind of you see like they're dirty you see the dirt on them because they've been in the world and the worship team who's been praying you know the all ministry team been praying for the fellowship and then all of a sudden the worship team starts to sing song in worship unto the Lord. And you know, barriers are falling in people's hearts. Hardness of heart is becoming soft again. And so a hard heart is becoming, or a calloused heart is becoming soft, 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 all in worship. Soft, 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 all in worship. Worship leader, you know, closes out the worship time. Pastor comes out, and boom, the word of God. Soft hearts prepared to hear the word. And the word goes forth, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, people are being washed and cleansed. That's what I love so much about reading these passages in the Old Testament. Because we see this picture of washing and cleansing, to cleanse them in the Hebrew is to make pure, innocent, and holy. You look at the birth of a child, brand new fresh baby so innocent the like the, the purest form of innocence but then at the same time each day that child grows that child born into adam is growing more corrupt more corrupt more corrupt and i know that sounds bad to say it like wow you know my baby's only three months old and he's corrupt well he's learning corruption you know when to cry, how do you see babies cry, manipulation, you see babies cry, like they fall, they cry, you know, and it's understandable when they're like two months old, I don't know when, you know, babies walk, but like, you know, eight months old, one month old, or one year old, whenever they start to walk, 
Then they fall and they start to cry. They see a parent run to pick them up. And they learn in their mind, oh, look, all I got to do is cry. And then I get, you know, and they cry for no reason. You know, it's because they're learning corrupt. They have learned corruption. And it's understandable. It's, it's, just the, it's, it's the ways of the flesh. And I'm not saying, you know, like, don't aid a child, you know, aid a child. But understand, wow, they're learning corruption. They have learned corruption. And it's getting worse and worse. And, and it's going to get worse. When a child learns corruption, because it's the ways of Adam, it's the ways of the flesh. But then something happens when such individual becomes born again. It's a return to innocence. Why? Because of the atoning, the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a return to innocence, and such a soul learns righteousness. You know, you learn corruption, you're born and you learn corruption. But then you're born again and you learn holiness and righteousness. And that's what we abide in, abiding in Christ. You see, Old Testament examples. In verse 7, Thus you shall do to them to cleanse them, sprinkle water of purification on them, and let them shave all their body, and let them wash their clothes, and so make themselves clean. Now, Notice in verse 7 here, you have this duality here because it's written unto Moses in verse 5, or it's written by Moses, but it's spoken to Moses that he has a job to do. In verse 7, thus you shall, verse 5 says, you know, the Lord spoke to Moses, uh, take the Levites, but in verse 7, thus you shall do. So Moses, you do this. You cleanse them. You sprinkle water of purification on them. But then in the middle of verse 7, and let them shave all their body and let them wash their clothes and so make themselves. You see, it's a lot of times, a lot of times people in ministry, pastors, elders, Bible teachers, they really get depressed and sometimes clinical depression because you have such a strong desire for sheep to stay sheep or fish to become lambs and lambs to become sheep and stay in the fold of Christ. But you have a job to do. If you're a Bible teacher, if you're an elder, if you're a pastor, you have a job to do. Task of the Lord, by the Lord and for the Lord, all for his glory. You have a job to do. You do your job faithfully. You do it well. But then also understand that the people have their own jobs, which is what, you know, like, like what's written here in verse 7, you shall do, Moses, and then in, in the middle, let them, and then again, let them, and then at the last part, they make themselves clean. So you have the, for Moses, you shall, and then for the Levites, they shall. You see, if you're a pastor, Bible teacher, elder, youth leader, you know, don't be discouraged. You teach faithfully unto the Lord. Remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation. You can plant, you can water, and that's really all you can do. You can pray, you can intercede. Aside from that, that's really all you can do. Other people have their, the, the people have the choices to make. It blows me away so much because you can teach the word of God. You know, from a pastor's perspective, you can have 
a multitude of people, a hundred people, a thousand people, you know, and the word goes forth. Not, not, not some type of speech, you know, you might think, oh yeah, you know, you're, this guy's a good orator and look how he explains. No, it's nothing like that. It's the word of God that you have consumed as from a pastor's perspective that you have consumed. The word of God, every jot, every tittle, I like to say, make the pages white because you take every writing in the Holy Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, you consume him and the word became flesh. And what comes out of your heart? It's not, you know, trying to be a man pleaser, a people pleaser. You're a God pleaser. And multitudes of people, they hear, it goes from your, from your eyes you know, because you're reading, you know, from your eyes into your heart and then from your heart out of your mouth and you, the word goes forth. It's like a net, you know, like a big fisherman's net. And then all of a sudden the word goes forth. But sometimes that multitude of thousands becomes, a, a you know, a group of a hundred or a, a multitude of a hundred becomes a group of ten, you know, and it's very, very interesting to see it happen because sometimes you see lives changed and sometimes you see lives unchanged now from a pastor's perspective don't get discouraged don't be discouraged because you stay faithful into how the lord called you you stay faithful no matter what even if you're teaching one you stay faithful and obedient unto the lord even if you're teaching one, you stay faithful. You see, and the Lord sees. The Lord knows. And then at the same time, it's like, wait a second. So that's the pastor's perspective. But what about the people's perspective? No matter what, be faithful in your portion. No matter what that portion is, no matter what side of the spectrum that is, be faithful in your portion. If you're a pastor, feed and protect the sheep. Feed them with the word of God and protect them. Remember, wolves. There are wolves. And even more so, in the last days, it seems like there's even more wolves. You know, you're outside the camp. Protecting the sheep. On watch, on guard. For the people, follow the... the, the not the pastor, you follow the, the, the word of the Lord... But you follow, from a pastoral sense, you follow this individual. And I don't mean this individual, but this individual who is tasked to watch over your souls. And I don't mean follow like follow. Part of the journey of, of being a Christian is finding a pastor, finding a place that teaches the word of God. I can't tell you how difficult it is. You know, I always mention our pastor in California because I consider him my pastor. We, we relocated from point A to point B and we settled. We settled for, you know, it wasn't like the ideal, but we settled and we learned the error of our ways in so doing. And it just blows me away so much because what you see today, you see a lot of infidelity in the pulpits, infidelity unto the Lord. You see a lot of infidelity. It's not good. It's not a pretty picture. But part of the journey of a Christian, part of a journey as believers in Christ is finding a pastor who's going to teach the word of God. 
You know, and when I say follow a pastor, remember when Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ? That's what I'm talking about. I don't mean like, you know, the pastor's in crazy town and you're following this pastor into crazy town. No, because the head pastor is Jesus Christ. But turn with me really quick to Hebrews 13. I'll tell you what I mean. Hebrews 13. And in Hebrews 13 here, verse 17 it says, obey those who rule over you. Okay. <laughs> I don't cut to the chase. It's like, you know, obey those who rule over you. But from a pastor's perspective, I'm very cautious, you know, of lording over people's faith. I don't want to do that. No, no man should be in that position to lord over anybody's faith. But even still, there are provisions in the word of God where there is rendering of obedience unto leadership, church leadership, pastors. Me personally, if the Lord did not call me into pastoral ministry, I would be in a location in certain vicinities where I could attend certain churches, churches that I already know about, pastors that I already respect, pastors that I listen to, pastors that I respect greatly. There's not a lot. There's like maybe three. I know that there's more, but of the ones that I know of, of the ones that I listen to, there's three. I could stretch it and actually three is stretching it. I, really, there's two, but I could stretch it and say three, but there's not a lot. And if the Lord did not call me into pastoral ministry, I would physically relocate so that I could attend these fellowship and me place myself under submission of this pastor. I know that sounds like, you know, people don't like that. We live in a culture today where people don't like that. What do you mean submit? What do you mean submit? Well, we just talk about submission unto government in our Sunday study. But submission unto a pastor? What are you talking about? Well, it's not... Like robots, a lot of pastors take that take advantage of that. And they're wicked pastors that do such things. That's not good. You know what? That's why I say part of the journey is finding a pastor. Part of a journey in, in the life of a Christian is finding a church. You know, people say, you know, you see churches in their outreach and they say, oh, yeah, we have these, you know, sports teams. We have these golf programs. We have this. And, you know, they get a whole bunch of people because they want the, 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 the satisfy the sense, you know, sensory satisfaction. But what about soul satisfaction? What about the word of God? You see? And so what happens? You know, you have Pastors that are overhanded in this verse obey those who rule over you and they get like this power trip. Wow, they have to obey me. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I'm going to say this. I'm going to say that. And they have to do it. And then you see like uh, the, 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 the congregation, they're like robots. A bunch of robots. Yes, pastor. Yes, pastor. Yes, pastor. Yes, pastor. Okay, pastor. Okay, pastor. Yes, pastor. It's like, what? What is it? A bunch of yes men. Yes, women. No way. And then you have the elders. Yes, pastor. Yes, pastor. Yes, pastor. And nobody's looking up and saying, yes, Lord. Idolatry. Idolatry. Anybody, any person, place, or thing that takes the place of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is an idol. Jesus Christ is first preeminent in your life. 
must be. And you know what? You have to place him there. And a lot of times that involves you denying self-humility. But when this happens, when you find a godly pastor, a godly church, a godly fellowship, when you find that, rejoice because it is rare. It is a rarity in the last days. It was a rarity 20 years ago. Well, maybe not. It was a rarity 20 years ago. It's a rarity 10 years ago, but even today, it's even more so. It is rare. When you find this, if you find this, and I pray you do find this, but when this happens, verse 17 of Hebrews 13 comes into play. Obey those who rule over you. Obey, obey those who lead over you, leadership over you. In the faith. Render obedience to such people. Now, when I say, like, if the Lord didn't call me to be, be a pastor, I would relocate to these vicinities so I could place myself in submission unto these men. That's what I would do. Willingly. No, nobody's forcing me. Willingly. Why? Because I see the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. They teach sound doctrine. Nothing crazy. No, no crazy town. You know, no grave-soaking None of this, you know, none of the seeker-friendly movement, none of the emergent church, none of this Eastern mysticism, nothing of the occult. They don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit by, by saying that, you know, his work was only 2,000 years ago. They don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit by putting glitter in the rafters. Everything is on point. Eh, maybe a couple things, but, you know, everything, for the most part, everything is on point. When everything is really on point, man, rejoice. <laughs> That's a, definitely a rarity. And it, it's so beautiful, but there's these fellowships. It's like, wow, you know what? I'm going to place myself under this pastor's leadership. He is my pastor. I'm going to pray for him because pastors are under attack like there's nobody's business. Like it's nobody's business. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Teachers have to be few for the Antichrist to thrive. Teachers of the Lord have to be few. And pastors are under heavy, heavy assault. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. Why? So the sheep can be isolated. That's why. So when I, when I read this verse 17, obey those who rule over you. I don't say it like, you know, obey, obey. You guys are robots. Obey, obey. No, no way. No way. But even still, there is the rendering of obedience. Look what happens here. Obey those who rule over you or who lead over you. And be submissive. This is to submit yourself. For they watch out for your souls. This is pastoral leadership. They watch out for your souls. You know, watch out here, what it translates to. <laughs> I think it's kind of humorous. <laughs> for they watch out for your souls. And how that translates is that they stay awake and are sleepless. <laughs> I won't say why I find that humorous, but, you know, I find it humorous. Um, because it says here... <laughs> It's to stay awake and to be sleepless. They watch out for your souls. Maybe if I was giving like a pastor's conference, if I had like a ministry team, I would explain this further and give examples 
but for the sake of today's study, I, I, I won't say a word. But they watch out for your souls. Not they watch out for your livelihood. They watch out for your finances. You know, they watch out for, you know, they watch, they're not babysitters. You know, they watch out for this. You know, they watch out for your souls. Do you know how deep that is? Do you know how hardcore that is? You might not even be considering your future horizon. You might not even be considering your, you know, 10-year outlook, your 20-year outlook. But a godly pastor is thinking about when you're standing before the Lord. Not even 5, 10, 20, when you're in eternity, when you've entered into eternity. That pastor is looking out for after you die. The afterlife, your afterlife. That pastor, such a pastor, is looking out for your soul when you stand before the Lord. And he's desperate to hear the word, to for you to hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. So when you read this in these connotations, with this understanding, then you get why verse 17 says, obey those who rule over you and be submissive. It's not like robots. It's not for a pastor to say, wow, look, I have these robots, you know, and they're free. I don't have to pay salary, you know. I have these robots. I say do this, they do that. I say do this. It's not, you, you have worldly pastors like that. And if, you, if that's your pastor, find a new pastor. Get a new pastor. Because that's not biblically accurate. It's not right. Such a pastor needs to repent. Go on hiatus. Be replaced by a godly man. You see? He says, be submissive for they watch out for your souls. They're sleepless. They stay awake for your souls. You know? You're sound asleep, you know, two in the morning, three in the morning, pastor's on his face. Sound asleep. Congregation, sound asleep. Whether it be a thousand people, a hundred people, it doesn't matter. Everybody's sound asleep, tucked away in their beds, pastor's on his face before the Lord for your soul. Two in the morning, three in the morning. They watch out for your souls. As those who must give an account. If you're a pastor and you're listening, you're going to give an account before the Lord. If you're a wicked pastor, you know, oh, look, I have the, you know, I have this slave people. I have this slave people. They got to do what I say. I don't even have to pay them. You know, they give me all this money, you know, a, a clergy tax. You know, it, it, clergy tax. Oh, yeah, I don't pay this. I have this parsonage. Everything's tax-free. You know, parsonage here, parsonage there, parsonage here. Stupid, wicked pastor. You're going to stand before the Lord. And you're going to hear the words, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. And rightfully so. Rightfully so. And I say that with fear. I don't want that for you. That's why I say if you're a pastor, get out of the pulpit. If you're a pastor and that's you, get out of the pulpit. Because it's safety for your soul. That's why I've had conversations with elders before. Hey, you know, take a break. Take a break because you're going to stand before the Lord one day. Take a break. You see? And elders, pastors are held to a higher account. If you're a pastor, elder, Bible teacher, you're going to be held to a stricter account. And you must give an account. 
But it is written here, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. You see, it's beneficial for you to be under uh, under a godly pastor. Now, you don't have your pastor says, oh, let's go grave soaking tonight. Say, see ya. And on your way out, say, repent. Tell him. Oh, my pastor's a female. Tell her. That's even worse. Tell her. You see? Find a new pastor. It's part of the journey of a Christian. I hate to say it that way. But part of the journey of a Christian is finding a godly pastor. As is written, you read the... the, the, the uh, 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 um, what Paul writes to young Pastor Timothy and, you know, Pastor Titus. What he writes to them, the pastoral letters. Read them. If, if you're a pastor, read them. Read those letters. You say, oh, I've read it already. Read it again. Because you'll realize some of you have to repent. Now, if you're a, 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 a pew Christian, you're not a pulpit Christian, you're a pew Christian, Read those, read First uh, Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus. Read them. Because you don't know, the Lord might call you into some kind of ministry where you're teaching. As an elder, as a pastor. Read it. It's very important. The Lord might call you into, you know, very, all kinds of various ministries. So when I say, like Hebrews 13, 17, obey those who rule over you and be submissive, it's not like a pastor can say, wow, look, I have a robot staff, free, everybody's a voluntary volunteer, I don't have to pay them. No payroll tax, no nothing, we're going to do this. And I know ministry leaders who have done that. They call it the work of the Lord. The work of the Lord. Look, there's this church building. We're going to do this. We're going to build this. And if you're for God, if you want to be a part of what God is doing, you're going to free labor. Free labor. Built on the backs of these people. And then all of a sudden start, instead of teaching truth, teaching false doctrine. You see? Whoa. W-O-E. Whoa. Not good. Not good at all. But when you find, and I pray you do find, I know, you know, the majority of listeners, I have no idea who you are, where you are, you know, your situation. If you have a pastor, if you don't have a pastor, I have no idea. But if your pastor's crazy, leave. If your pastor's teaching false doctrine, going grave soaking and doing all kinds of crazy things, seeker friendly, emergent church, neo-Calvinism, all these different, you know, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. If that is happening, leave. I mean, you could say, hey, pastor, you know, you're teaching craziness. You need to repent. And if he repents, praise be to the Lord. If it's not happening, you know, look at all the sex, sex, crimes i'll say it might not be criminal in accordance to man but criminal in the eyes of the lord look at all the sex crimes that are happening in the church you see it's not good leave they say oh i'm not gonna leave my church i've been coming here for 30 years for 40 years this is my home church what this isn't like, you know, you know, that old, oldie song, Be True to Your School. 
This isn't like be true to your church. Be true to the church. Be true to the pastor. Be true to the elders. Be true to, you know, uh, uh, legacy. We've been coming here. My, my parents came here, you know. This isn't nothing. Be true to Jesus Christ. Be true to him. Be true to the head pastor, capital H, capital P. Be true to the head pastor, Jesus Christ. Be true to him. You see, the church goes off into crazy town. Leave, hit the eject button. I'm out. It's not you leaving the church. It's you staying in Christ, abiding in Christ. It's that fellowship that has gone into crazy town. They're the ones that have left Christ. That pastor is the one, you know, pastor starts teaching. Oh, yeah, look, we're going to call this the Holy Spirit. We're going to put these, this glitter in the rafters and make it fall down and call it the Holy Spirit, the moving of the Holy Spirit. If you see that happen in your fellowship, hit the eject button. It's not you leaving Christ. It's you leaving a church that has abandoned Christ. And then you find it a new pastor, which is an, a journey in itself. Me personally, I believe the last day's church will be a home home fellowship type of model or a very small church. Why? Because the mega church model, it's had its day in the light and it's not good what it led to. The mega church model, no, it's not good. You have a lot of churches now that are shutting down. It pains me to say that because of the implications further down the road. But in one sense too, I'm glad. I'm glad. You know, like Paul says, their mouths must be stopped. Or you read the Old Testament, you know, who is who is there that will shut the doors? In one sense, I'm glad. Because, you know, it, it, a, a church that has become top-heavy with, in a, in a, manly, in a worldly sense, in, in a carnal sense, close the doors. So you have a picture of a remnant, and it's happening. We're, we're seeing it happening today. Look at all the church closures. Nobody's going to church. Nobody's going to church, and it pains me to say that. I don't like the implications of what that means in the lives of people, in homes, in families, in marriages, in relationships with families. I don't like it. But then look at the remnant. What is happening to the remnant? Refinement as through fire. And so these big church buildings, nobody's coming, nobody's tithing, no, nobody's doing this. You know, pastor's salary's cut. And yes, it's. I'm not trying to say that, you know, it's a good thing, I'm happy it's happening. But in one sense, you know, in one sense, there's some blessing in it. The ceasing of certain doctrines, the ceasing of certain activities, and the beginning of something beautiful. People say, oh, yeah, you don't see the church in Revelation because they've been raptured out. You know, you know, after chapter four, the church is not mentioned anymore. Yeah, I understand that. I see that. But the word saint is there all over Revelation. The word saint. And what does Brother Peter say? Judgment comes first in the house of God. Judgment comes first in the house of God. And the Lord is cleaning house. The Lord is cleaning house. Who are the faithful? Where are the faithful? Let's go back to Numbers. 
And here in Numbers chapter 8, verse 8, then let them. So you see these responsibilities of Moses. You see the responsibilities of Aaron. And now you see the let thems. This duality of ministry. Just like, just like Paul says, you know, Apollos, uh, Cephas, myself, we're nothing. That's what Paul says of himself. We're nothing. All we do is plant or water. It's God that brings the increase. Now, God bringing the increase, it's not just like, you know, bam, you know, God is sovereign, God is sovereign, God is sovereign, and boom, he brings the increase. He wills this to happen, and boom, it happens. And I'm not mocking the sovereignty of God. I'm not mocking his, you know, the things that he wills, the power of his will by the power of his spirit. I'm not mocking that in any way, shape, or form. But you listen to our studies through Romans 7 through 11, and you'll understand what I mean. And this is a, a, a little message to the neo-Calvinists, the, the reformed. There's, you know, once a seed has been planted, once a seed has been watered and God gives the increase, you look at the, 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 the means by which the increase happens, you know, God shows mercy on whom God has mercy on whom he has mercy. But then you read the Bible and you see that mercy is conditional to those who love me and obey my commandments. And in God's mercy, other things happen. You start to see more fruit. So you see verse 8, then let them, it's like a, a two-way road in, in, in one regard, in one sense. It's like a two-way road. Pastors don't have to get uh, fatigued. Pastors don't have to get fatigued. Elders don't have to be fatigued. Bible teachers don't have to be fatigued. You stay obedient. You stay faithful. And the Lord will, you know, you do your end. And the Lord is always faithful. You know, you stay faithful. And then, you know, the Lord does his work inside the heart, the lives of the people, the minds of the people. But the people still have a job to do. Will they render obedience? You can't force obedience. That's a robot. You can't force obedience. No. A person has to choose obedience. And here we see an Old Testament example of that. Then let them take a young bull with its grain offering, a fine flour mixed with oil, and you shall take another young bull as a sin offering. So you see this duality here. Let them, then you shall. In verse 9, and you shall bring the Levites before the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall gather together the whole congregation of the children of Israel. So you shall bring the Levites before the Lord, and the children of Israel shall lay their hands. So now you have the entirety of the camp. You see? Look at, you have the, let them, you shall, you shall, you shall. And then in verse 10, the children of Israel shall. Shall do what? Lay their hands on the Levites. Wow. One body, many parts. One body, many functions. One body, many ministries. One God. One Lord. You see? In verse 11, And Aaron shall offer the Levites before the Lord like a wave offering from the children of Israel, that they may perform the work of the Lord. And that's the purpose. The Levites, they have a job to do. They're tasked with this holy, holy, 
um, duty, this holy task of making people right before the Lord. For people's hearts to be right, for sin to be atoned for. In verse 12, then the Levites shall lay their hands on the heads of the young bulls, and you shall offer one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering to the Lord to make atonement for the Levites. Now the Levites, they need to be clean before being used. They need to be cleansed by the Lord. They need to be clean. People say, oh, I'm going to be a pastor. I want to be a pastor. They look at, watch TV. They watch TBN, Tricking Believers Nightly. And they watch that and they see big multitudes surrounding, you know, one guy. They say, wow, I want the accolades of men. I'm going to do that too. I think I'm going to be a pastor. What's their business model? There's books about that. How to grow your church. How to do this. How to do this. How to have a, 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 they use a business model for church. That's not good. If you're a pastor, you're listening and you do that, repent. That's not good. It's the power of God unto salvation. It's not the power of man unto salvation. Many try, many fail. But if you're a pastor, a Bible teacher, ministry leader, youth leader, worship leader, elder, deacon, bishop, if that's you, if you're in a leadership role or a ministry role, you have to be clean before you can be used. You have to be clean. You cannot be a hypocrite. Carnality and hypocrisy are cancers in the church. It's not good. Have you ever talked to a non-believer and you, you talk to them about Jesus Christ? They say, I want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. And you're like, whoa, taken aback. Like, whoa, what, what happened? Why? Well, I used to be a Christian. They tell you, I used to be a Christian. But the pastor did this. The pastor did this. He didn't do this. He didn't do this. You know, pastors who, you know, they have some type of egregious sin in the church. And instead of calling the authorities to say, hey, there's this crime that's happening in the church, they try to save face. Then you have pastors who kind of uh, uh, sweep things under the rug. That's a pretty nasty rug. Sweep things under the rug, hide things. Not good. So sometimes, you know, you talk to non-believers, they say, I want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. You say, why? They start to you say, explain all these things, and it's because of hypocrisy. Carnality and hypocrisy. Those are the biggies. And you know what? If I were following man if like that in that manner, I would leave too. Except we follow Jesus Christ. We follow Jesus Christ. The man Christ Jesus. You see? That's who we follow. And Jesus Christ has his shepherds, godly shepherds. And you listen to them, in, you know, hearkening to our, our, what we looked at in Hebrews 13. Because why? They watch out for your souls. You know, two in the morning, three in the morning, sound asleep. Boom. Pastor's on his face before the Lord. You know, you wake up in the morning, you're like, wow, okay, I'm going to go to work. Your day's prayed for. Your commute, prayed for. Everything, your day at work, prayed for. Your family, prayed for. You see? You go to sleep at night, prayed for. Protection, prayed for. Safety, prayed for. Being in the Word, prayed for. 
You go to sleep, you know, late at night, whatever, boom. Rinse and repeat, passes on his face before the Lord. They watch out for your souls. You see? In verse 13, and you shall stand, and you shall stand the Levites before Aaron and his sons, and then offer them like a wave offering to the Lord. Remember when we were in Leviticus and you see these individual offerings, and it's like boom, boom, boom. We look at all these different offerings. And I said, you know, in future chapters, we're gonna see a grouping of these things. That's what we're seeing here. We've seen it already a little bit, but we're seeing it more and more. You shall separate the Levites from among the children of Israel, and the Levites shall be mine. After that, the Levites shall go in to service the tabernacle of meeting. Translates in the Hebrew as to do the service of the tabernacle of meeting. You see? Now they're ready. Now they're ready. They're clean. They're dedicated. And now, boom. You know? Activation. They're ready to do the service. Not dirty. Cleansed. In accordance with what the word says. You know, at this point, thus far, in accordance with what the word says, I'm not advocating the law, but thus far, if you look at like a timeline, thus far, this is what the Lord commands. And it's a shadow of the things to come because it points to Jesus Christ. I mean, if you're wondering what I'm saying when I say that, listen to start in Leviticus 1 and listen to all those studies. Get yourself caught up. Listen to all those studies and you'll see this offering, how it a shadow of Christ this offering, a shadow of Christ. This offering, a shadow of Christ. And even in some cases, a shadow of the church, a shadow of the believer, a shadow of the saint, you and me. And so we read these passages and it's like, whoa, oh my goodness. And you know what blows me away? The Pharisees, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, they should have known all these things. They should have known, wow, you know, these laws, they point to a coming Messiah. And you know, maybe some knew and they didn't like that because they were power mad. And there's passages in scripture which denote that with some individuals. And here... In verse 15, and, the, and that the Levites shall go into service the tabernacle of meeting, so you shall cleanse them and offer them like a wave offering, for they are wholly given to me from among the children of Israel. I have taken them for myself instead of all who opened the womb, the firstborn of all the children of Israel. For all the firstborn among the children of Israel are mine, both man and beast. On the day that I struck all the firstborn of the land of in the land of Egypt, I sanctified them to myself. I they're set apart for the Lord, and so we're gonna we see this. We've seen it already, but you see this duality or multifaceted works of God, where you know, like for example, how He blessed Egypt. You know, through Joseph. You remember our study in Genesis. There was blessings upon Egypt, and then in so doing, blessings upon Israel. Because remember, the family of Jacob came to, came to Egypt. And then you see the blessing of Israel and then the curse of Egypt. That's what happened when the Lord became forgotten. Not a good picture. Not a good picture when the Lord becomes forgotten. Nothing new under the sun. We live in a state where the Lord is becoming forgotten more and more and more and more. Nothing new under the sun. 
Look at what happens, you know, when the Lord becomes forgotten, godly people become uh, oppressed. It's all building up for the Antichrist. The Antichrist spirit is, it's all being fulfilled. For the revealing of the Antichrist and what happens when that when, when that happens, you know, it's the Jews and Christians are going to be in the crosshairs. Look at government overreach that we see right now. Look at what they're doing to the uh, Orthodox Jewish communities. Shutting them down, shutting down synagogue. Shutting down their worship. You know, they actually have cops that go in, you know, and, you know, like in in homes because what they've done, they, they shut down the synagogues. So you have these Orthodox, what they do is they uh, say, okay, let, let's meet in homes now. So they go and meet in homes and they have to like really cover the windows. In some cases, board up the windows because the police are going to homes and they're just standing out with their flashlights, you know, shining light and look any sign of, you know, a group of people. And then they bust in and they start making arrests. That's what they're doing to Jewish communities in the United States. Land of the free, home of the brave. You know, air quotes. And it pains me to say it that way. That's the Jewish community. Now look at the Christians. Look at the church. Look at all the churches that are shut down. You see? Jews and Christians in the crosshairs. Jews and Christians in the crosshairs. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. But even still, you see this duality of, you know, how the work of the Lord, how, you know, he's doing something in one area and in the same area, there's something else happening. And you see that in this uh, sanctification of people unto himself. And it's, you see, the of the firstborn. But then for the Levites, there's something a little different. Verse 18, he says, I have taken the Levites instead of all the firstborn of the children of Israel. Because remember verse 14, the Levites shall be mine. It's a very special, special portion that the Lord has. A very special portion that's unto him. He says in verse 19, And I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and his sons. Very interesting in verse 19. I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and his sons. Because you look at Aaron and his sons as the Kohanim. And for future generations, they have these Levites to help and to assist in this area of ministry. But do you remember our previous studies about uh, Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan? Do you remember? Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan in the Hebrew, it's bond servants in the shepherd's service and bond servants in the shepherd's house. So what do you have? The Levites as bond servants of the shepherd. And do you remember Aaron? He's the high priest. You see? An Old Testament example of Jesus Christ as high priest in the order of Melchizedek and the Obadah, Obadah Mishkan, bondservants of the shepherd. You see? An Old Testament example. Verse 19. Not even all of verse 19. Just this little, this little top portion. And I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and his sons. You see how beautiful it is as new covenant believers to read these passages in the law. Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those are hardcore books of the law. I would say Leviticus is probably the most hardcore 
because it's like straight up law. But even looking at that, even studying Leviticus, look how deep we learned more about Jesus Christ. Look how more we learned about the nature and character of our Lord. And look how, how much deeper we saw the, sacrif- the, the, uh, 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 the consecration of the Christian unto Jesus Christ. And then we see this little tiny portion in verse 19. I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and his sons. You see? From among the children of Israel, he says, to do the work for the children of Israel in the tabernacle of meeting. You see? it's Remember, it's service unto the Lord, but the people are the benefactors. It's the same thing, Old Testament and New Testament. The, the, the Levites, Kohanim, it's service unto the Lord. But the benefactors are the people. And that's what is written here. It's, uh, given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and his sons from among the children of Israel to do the work for the children of Israel in the tabernacle of meeting and to make atonement for the children of Israel that there be no, that, that there be no plague among the children of Israel when the children of Israel come near the sanctuary. You see, God desires intimacy. That's what he desires, intimacy. It's, it's uncleanness. And uncleanness, an, an, an uncircumcised heart cannot go near him, cannot be near him. But even in these passages, you see God's desire to have close, closeness, intimacy with his people. That there be no plague among the children of Israel when the children of Israel come near the sanctuary. He desires this closeness. And because he desires this closeness of the camp of Israel, he says, Hey, Kohanim, I'm going to use you. Hey, uh, uh, Levites, I'm going to use you. Because I desire closeness with Israel and you are the vessels that are going to make this happen. I'm going to make this happen, but you're the vessels that I'm going to use. You see? What about the Christian? As a fisher of men, fisher of women, young, old, I don't care. How God desires closeness with his creation. How does that happen? God desires intimacy with his creation. What is the means by which that happens? You see how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings and good news. Just like we studied in Romans 10. It's you. It's me. You know? The abodah, abodah, mishkan. Bond servants in the shepherd's house. God desires intimacy. Look at Israel. We're going to see it in the book of Numbers. We're going to see it. Israel goes off and does. It's going to break your heart. It's going to kill you. And not just in numbers, you were going to see it further. Like, what is happening? What are you guys doing? What are you guys doing? And then, boom, you're going to see the activation of Kohanim, the activation of uh, uh, the Levites, making people right with the Lord, atoning for sin, that people can have peace with Him. Look at the darkness that we see in the world, which is getting worse and worse and worse and worse. But you know what? The harvest is plentiful. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Never forget that. You see people in their fallen state. You see people in whatever state. Understand that the Lord loves them. He's long-suffering, not willing that that individual should perish and burn in hell. 
Who's going to tell him? Who's going to tell her? Who will be the fisherman? Who will be the fisherwoman to tell such individual? But then at the same time, you go and approach this individual and say, you know, you tell them the good news. And then all of a sudden they hate you. They want to fight you. They want to do all these things. They start speaking, you know, uh, all kinds of wickedness. And then boom, you're a fisherman. But then at the same time, don't forget you're a warrior too. You see, shield, sword, boom, ready to handle business. Spiritually speaking, metaphysically. Or you go and talk to a soul. And all of a sudden, their they're, they're, like, interest is piqued. What? Tell me more about this Jesus. And then they have a friend, you know, a spouse, a family member who says, Oh, no, don't do that. Don't do that. And it's like, boom. So you have a fishing pole in one hand, a sword in the other hand. People say, well, which is it? You know, are we supposed to do this, do that? I like to think of, like, uh, humanitarian services. You see, like, military people. You know, they go on like campaigns to, you know, there's like a, a typhoon that happened overseas somewhere. And you see the helicopters come in, you know, and you see these guys and they're, you know, the pilot lands the helicopter and the guys come out and they're giving out food and water, you know, certain types of provisions for a community. And they're still, they got full gear on, they got full gear on, but they're handing out, you know, food provisions, water provisions in a community, in a village. And they're handing out these things, a village that had been devastated. And they're handing out these things, you know, here, this is for you, drink this, here, eat this. And they got, they're fully armed, except, you know, they're handing out this food. And then all of a sudden, you know, up the hill, you start to see this caravan of trucks come, you know, the bad guys. You know, they don't want you there. They want to oppress the people. And then all of a sudden, it's like, okay, you know, guys, step aside. Step aside, we're going to put down these boxes, we're going to put down this water, and, you know, to arms. It's the same concept as Christians. You give the good news, and then all of a sudden, you know, something happens where it's like, okay, you're giving the good news, but you're also a warrior. You're a fisherman slash warrior. You see? So let's look at what happens here in verse 20. Thus Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel did to the Levites, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses concerning the Levites. So the children of Israel did to them. And the Levites purified themselves. You see, it's Moses does this, Aaron does this, the people do this, Israel, they lay their hands, they do this. And now the Levites have a, they have a, a role to, they have a job. The Levites purified themselves. So that's the example I gave as pastor. You know, a pastor gives the message, you stay faithful unto the Lord. Faithful. Always faithful. <laughs> you stay faithful unto the Lord. And then at the same time, you know, the people have a choice to make. What do I do with this word? What do I do with this seed? What happens with this seed? Then hearkens our study in uh, Luke 8. What happens with that seed? That's between a person and the Lord. You see? The Levites purified themselves and washed their clothes. Then Aaron presented them like a wave offering before the Lord. And Aaron made atonement for them to cleanse them. After that, the Levites went in to do their work in the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord and his, or before Aaron and his sons. As the Lord commanded Moses concerning the Levites, so they did to them. 
You see, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this is what pertains to the Levites from 25 years old and above. One may enter to perform the service in the work of the tabernacle of meeting. And at the age of 50 years, they must cease performing the work and shall work no more. So, you know, there are age variations from age 20 to 25 to age 30. We've seen that already in earlier chapters of the book of Numbers. But then we also see in the book of Ezra, which the Lord will have us in, you know, in, in his time. But you see it in the book of Ezra, and it's like, well, wait a second. What is it? Is it age 20, age 25, age 30? You talk to mockers, and they say, you see, you see the Bible. There's so many contradictions in the Bible. There's a contradiction. No. Whenever you hear somebody say there's, the Bible has contradictions, you know what the contradiction is? It's them. It's their contradiction. Their, their lives is a contradiction. Their life, their mind, their heart. That's the contradiction. Because they're tossed to and fro. They're on rough waters. They're in the storm. You know? And maybe they're drowning even. You know, have compassion on them. They don't understand. They say, you see, you see the Bible so full of contradic contradictions. You tell them straight up, no, your life is a contradiction. Tell them straight up. What do you mean my life is a contradiction? Tell them, give them the good news right there. But you see these passages, what is it? Is it age 20, age 25, age 30? You see these variances, but then there are statements. There are passages in scripture which states more operational sense as an internship. You know, and I don't want to put like carnal kind of take because we have like examples worldly examples of what internships look like in a business setting you see what interns look like in the function of an intern you know it's almost like a, an apprentice type of role where they're learning the uh the, the tricks of the trade so to speak they're learning and then after this state of internship then boom you know they're on board and they're on board as an intern but then there's a different level of you know hey you're on board so you have these this internship you know, uh, 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 roles that can play. So it's like, well, what is it? Is it age 20, 25, age 30? Well, you know, the, some passages say age 30, some passages say age 25. And when you see those variants, it's like to understand, okay, this is like an internship role. Internship or like a externship, like consultants. You see the old people, you know, they say, oh yeah, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm retired, but I'm hired on as a consultant. You know, that's for the old people who are taking like an early retirement, so to speak, quasi-retirement, preparation for retirement. Same exact concept. In verse 26, that they may minister with the brethren in the tabernacle of meeting. It's the smaller role. Remember, like a like an internship or externship type of deal or, or like a uh, consultation. And I'm using worldly terms to explain this. But... You know, I'm doing that to so you can understand. When I say internship or uh, uh, consultancy, that's so you can understand this role, limited role, not the full role of, say, somebody who's age 35 or 40. To attend to the needs, you see? That, that, that they may minister with their brethren in the tabernacle of meeting to attend to the needs, but they themselves shall do no work. So you see, it's there's a role but it's more limited role. Thus you shall do to the Levites. Thus, uh, 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 thus you shall appoint is how it translates the Levites 
regarding their duties. You see order in the church, order in the camp. But you also see order in the church today. Order. You see God's faithfulness, the faithfulness of the Lord. But then at the same time, you see the obedience of Moses. Remember the, back in uh, Exodus when the Lord was giving Moses the blueprints? And through it all, Moses stayed faithful. You know, the next chapter, Exodus 32, the golden calf, even with that, Moses stayed faithful. The fidelity of Moses. And in so doing, look what happened. Moses wasn't alone. Yes, Aaron fell, but Aaron was restored again and put into service as high priest. Why? Repentance. The long-suffering of our Lord, the mercy of our Lord, and His grace and His love. You see? God is good and His mercy endures forever. God bless you guys. Love you guys.